Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Tommy McMurtry from the Liberty Baptist Church. Glad to be back with you today. We are only one week away from Easter, and I tell you, I hope that uh, you'll come out and give us a visit sometime. We'd love to have you uh, be a part of our Easter service. We would love to see you there that day, and I tell you, I enjoy Easter as much as anything else. I enjoy celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what an exciting day that is, and what an exciting story. I love talking about the resurrection. It is very exciting. But right now, we want to go ahead and uh, answer a question for you. I encourage you, again, send us your questions that you may have. You just email them to libertybc2011 at att.net, and we would love to try to answer those and give you Bible-based answers for those things. Ask us anything you want, and you know, send us. You can send us anything. You know, if you want to just send us uh, fan mail, hate mail, whatever, we'll take it. And just like to know uh, where you're at and what you're interested in. And so, just anytime you can do that, we would love to try to be a blessing that way. And I got a question I want to look at this morning, and this question is from Mark. And it said, he said, you called yourself a fundamental Baptist on a previous show. What does that mean? All right, so fundamental Baptist, what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, I want to add one adjective to that, and we call ourselves independent fundamental Baptist. Now, what does that mean? Now, first of all, uh, independent fundamental Baptist has nothing to do with getting saved. I do not believe you get saved or get to heaven by being an independent fundamental Baptist. I just want to make that clear right from the get-go. But we use those terms, really, I guess, to identify who we are. Okay, it's no, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want it to be a secret who we are and what we believe. I don't want, I, I don't mind letting people know uh, who we are and what we stand for. And those terms do mean something, okay? And first of all, for Baptists, you know, what is, why do we use that term Baptist? Well, there are several what we would we call Baptist distinctives, things that I guess distinguish us apart from other religions. And first, one of those Baptist distinctives is that the Bible is the final authority of faith and practice. We accept only the Bible as the authority in all matters. We believe the Word of God. We believe it's complete. We believe it is completely without error, inspired by God. And you know what? If it's not in the Bible, we're not going to preach about it, okay? We, that's why we don't talk about purgatory. It's not in the Bible. There's a lot of things that have come up in religion that you just can't find in the Bible. We don't teach that you can work your way to heaven because you don't find that in the Bible. In fact, you find the opposite. And so, uh, Bible, final authority. We do not have a Baptist, uh, I guess you could say, you know, a, a Baptist group somewhere that puts some rules and things together to tell us what to do. We have the Bible, and that's all we need. Our membership is of saved and baptized members. We believe that the church is made up of people who are saved, people who have followed Christ in believers' baptism through immersion. The baptism does not save you, but the baptism is the first step of obedience after salvation. And listen, if you're not willing to be obedient to Christ in the first thing, well, the other things probably aren't going to happen either. And so we believe that baptism is important because baptism, it identifies you with Jesus Christ. And one of these days we might talk more about baptism, but very important thing. We have two ordinances, just believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. Also, we believe in the autonomy 
of a local church. Simply stated, the scriptures give no higher authority than the local congregation of born-again, baptized believers, and we believe that the local church is to be governed by the word of God, and the local church does not need or or does need the scripture. That's it. And it teaches that the local body rests under the authority does not rest under the authority of any other earthly group. We do not have a Baptist headquarters somewhere that tells us what to do. That's why we say independent. We do not have a Baptist pope all right, or Baptist you know, archbishops or anything like that. Uh, our church is governed by the members of Liberty Baptist Church, and I believe that that's the way it ought to be done. That's why we call ourselves independent. There are other Baptist churches out there. And they might do things a little bit different than we do. And you know what? We've got nothing to say about it because we're independent. Okay? They need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and follow the Word of God how they see fit. And if they don't do it right, God will deal with them. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. I'm not the head of any other church, and so I'm not going to tell them what to do. And uh, we're going to teach what the Bible says at our church. And uh, if other places aren't doing that, then you know they can... Uh, they can take that for what it's worth, but we have no authority over any other church, and no other church has any authority over us. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. The Scripture teaches that every believer can, without the aid of priests, go boldly unto the throne of grace. We do not need a priest like they did in the Old Testament. We believe that you have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore you can pray anytime you confess your sins to Him, not to a man. You confess your sins to God. I can't forgive your sins that you've committed against God. I can only forgive you the sins you've committed against me. And the sins that you've committed against God, that's between you and him. And you can approach the throne of grace boldly without my help as a pastor or without the help of a priest. And we also believe in religious freedom. Uh, We do not believe in forcing our religion on other people through government. Now, we proclaim our religion to as many people as we can. We proclaim the gospel... We tell everybody they ought to get saved. They better get saved. We you know, teach that there's a heaven and a hell. But we would never, through government, try to force our religion or have them make laws telling you you have to be Baptist. We do not believe in that. And if you become a Baptist and you decide, I don't like this anymore, and you want to go do something else, well, we can't, we're not going to use government to stop you. We're going to try to talk you out of it. But that's about as far as it's going to go. We're going to pray for you, but we would never uh, hold anybody hostage in our church. We believe in the separation of church and state. And we believe that means the government has no business interfering in the operation of the church. We believe in rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay, We believe, you know, as individuals, you ought to pay your taxes and obey the laws and do all those things. But... The church, uh, we do not, or the government has no business telling a church what to do and how to run, and we believe that. And so those are just a few things, but I believe, for the most part, um, Baptist, it does give the name, gives people a pretty good idea of what we believe. And just like many other religions, uh, you can you kind of know what you're in for based on the name. And a lot of folks, they kind of go with non-denominational names or you know names that can mean anything and that's that's scary because you never know what you're getting into then and uh, most people though if they know anything about independent fundamental baptist 
uh, they shouldn't be in for any big shocks when they come to our church. But anyway, so I hope that answers that question for you. And there's, there's a lot more things we could talk about there, but we don't have time. But right now, I want us to go to Psalms 116, verse 15. Psalms 116, verse 15. Read a verse to you. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, death is something that most people fear, to tell you the truth. They don't like to think about. But the truth is, we're all going to die someday. All right? I'm not trying to be doom and gloomy, but you're going to die one of these days. Okay? You don't believe me? Uh, just wait. You'll find out. It's coming. Um, there, there's probably, you go drive by the cemetery, there's probably a lot of people there that thought they'd live forever, and they didn't. One of these days, we're all going to die, and you know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And I think it's good that we ask the question and think about this a little bit, and that is what comes next? What's after our time here on earth? What comes next? Very good question. This is a question that many people have asked, especially when they know they don't have much time left. For the saved, we know it's something that we don't need to fear, but it's still something that you can't help but be a little curious about. And when we look in the Bible, we can get an idea of what's going to happen. However, the truth, much of it is a mystery that we will not completely understand until we experience it. But let's go ahead and look at what we do know about what comes next from the Scripture. So first of all, whenever we think about death, it causes many questions to come to mind. And one of the questions is, what is death? What is death exactly? Well, I believe that death is simply this, giving up the ghost. Genesis 25, 8, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Matthew 15, 37, or Mark 15, 37, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. What does that mean, give up the ghost? Well, I believe our body, this is the way I try to illustrate it, our body is like a container that's holding our spirit. Our spirit wants to leave but the body won't let it. The body, though, eventually gets to the point where it's fragile and broken and cannot hold it any longer, and it just finally has to give up the ghost. Philippians 1.23, Paul said, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, I want to go to heaven. But he said, Right now, I have to stay in the flesh. I have My spirit has to stay in the flesh. That's better for you. And you know, I want to go to heaven too, but you know, right, not right now, okay? And the truth is, my body won't let my spirit go to heaven right now. I have this thing called a survival instinct. And so things that could potentially take my life, I tend to stay away from those things because... Uh, I have that survival instinct. My body wants to hang on to the spirit, but one of these days, it's going to leave. Maybe through a terrible accident where I get hurt and I'm just in so much pain. And finally, my spirit it is, it's going to leave this body. And when your spirit leaves your body, you're done for, uh, you're dead. That's it. And that's what happens when people die. Their spirit leaves their body. This body that we have, it's just a shell. It's just a house for our spirit. And so, I believe death is simply giving up the ghost. So, question is, what happens when we give up the ghost? What happens immediately after death? Well, in Luke chapter 16, verse 22, 
It says, And it came to pass that the beggar died, the beggar Lazarus. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. I believe if you're saved, when your spirit leaves your body, the angels come, carry your spirit into heaven if you're saved. If you're lost, I believe your spirit just falls into the bottomless pit. Your spirit just falls into hell. I believe that's what we see in the scripture. So we're going to focus mainly on the saved person right now. So for the saved, what is the first thing that we do when we get into heaven? What's the first thing that's going to happen? All right, my spirit leaves the body. The angels, they carry me me into heaven. Then what happens? Well, in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, Stephen, he's just preached his first and his only message that he ever preached. And it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not to this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Boy, notice how we see Stephen here getting stoned, which is a horrible way to go, by a bunch of men that were so angry. They're just gnashing with teeth. I mean, just a, like a bunch of rabbit animals. They are throwing stones at this man. And the Bible just says he fell asleep. See, pr- once again, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his, stain, the death of his saints. We see here in this story that he sees Jesus Christ. He gets a glimpse while he is still on earth. And I believe the first thing that happens when we get saved, and there's many scriptures we can look at, but I don't believe we appear before the pearly gates greeted by St. Peter. Y'all have heard all those stories before. But there are many passages in the scripture that show when we die, first thing, we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. First person we're going to see is Jesus Christ, and we're going to be judged by Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Therefore we all are always confident, knowing this, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see that? We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the first thing. While we are home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But to be absent from the body, when your spirit leaves this body, it will appear in the presence of Jesus Christ at the throne of God, at the judgment seat of of Christ, and we are going to be judged. So, what all takes place at the judgment seat of Christ? And we don't have time to go into all the verses about the judgment seat of Christ, but much of what takes place is a mystery as far as how everything's going to happen. But one thing is for certain all those who stand before the judgment seat of Christ will make it into heaven, 
thanks to, not their works, the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All right, so all of you out there that think you're so good, you're going to heaven. All right, you're wrong. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Your righteousness is a filthy rag. You're not that great. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. It's his righteousness, not yours, which by, is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. When you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to make it into heaven, but it has nothing to do with your good works. It has everything to do with the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you. And I'm telling you right now, if you're going to go to heaven, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. It's his sacrifice that paid for your sins. It's his blood that cleanses you from that from your sin. And you must believe in the Lord to be saved. Stop trying to get there on your own good works. Stop trying to get there through religion. I just explained what independent fundamental Baptist is. But you can be the best independent fundamental Baptist out there and still be on your way to hell if you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what saves you. I wish people could get that through their head, but... They're not reading their Bible, so a lot of people are going to struggle with that, and they're going to keep pursuing good works that doesn't do anything. But I'm going to stand before God someday, and He is going to allow me, that I know, and I know I'm a sinner, and He is going to allow me to go into heaven. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the sacrifice that He paid on Mount Calvary for me, and I'm so thankful for that, because I'm telling you right now, if it was just about my works, I wouldn't make it. And we're going to look at a judgment in a little bit that's about works. And we're going to see what happens to everybody at that judgment. But also, another question that comes. So, I, all right, judgment. I'm allowed into heaven. So, what about my loved ones who are there? Will I be able to find my loved ones that have already died? And, you know, I don't know how everything's going to work in heaven. But I do know, I do know this. We're not just going to be sitting around on a cloud strumming a harp. See, the truth is, saved people don't really die. Matthew 22, verse 31. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Remember, God said this to Moses. And then Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Those who are saved, while your physical body will die, your spirit goes on to live forever. We don't really die. Because this body really is, it really is nothing. Alright? You can have, a, if you have a body without a spirit, that body is worthless. It can't do anything. That body is not who you really are. That's why when my body dies and my spirit goes on to heaven, they can take my body and they can go bury it and put it in the ground. That's fine. It's not going to do me or anybody any good once i'm dead so we also see so uh we see in john eleven twenty five, jesus said unto her i am the resurrection and the life 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He said this right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now let me ask you a question. We all believe that Jesus resurrected Lazarus. He came back to life after he'd been dead for four days. After his body began to stink, Jesus raised him from the dead. Now let me ask you a question. Did Lazarus die again? Well, yeah, of course he did. He eventually, his body eventually died again. But why did Jesus say that those who believe would never die? He wasn't talking about the physical body. He was talking about the spirit. Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, not, not so he could just bring a dead man back to life, but it was to prove that he had the power to raise a spirit, that he could raise man from the dead, to prove that he had the power of resurrection to prove that he was God. It was to prove he was. You know, Jesus, he wasn't impressed when he or excited about raising somebody from the dead because they eventually died again later. He didn't come to earth to resurrect people from the dead physically. He did it to resurrect people from the dead spiritually. And he did the physical resurrections to show who he was, to show that he could resurrect someone spiritually. But the, all the people that Jesus raised from the dead eventually died again physically later but all those who have ever been resurrected spiritually they will never die it will never happen so truth is after you know those who are saved they're still alive they're still in heaven i think probably shortly after we meet jesus we can only speculate but i imagine we'll probably start having a reunion you'll start meeting maybe parents brothers and sisters maybe even children that have gone on before you and what an exciting time that's going to be so i'll meet my love i'll meet christ i'll meet my loved ones then what then what's after that well i'm glad you asked me that one of these days your physical body is going to resurrect if you're saved the truth is there are some that's not even going to see death first corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 says behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep. All right? That's talking about dying. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What an exciting passage that is. Weren't, listen, the Lord, we don't know when he's going to come back, but one of these days he's coming back. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see that those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And if, you're, if you die before the return of Christ, they're going to take your body. If I die before the return of Christ, they're going to take my body and they're going to put it in the ground somewhere. And one of these days when Christ returns in the clouds, Bible says, that grave is going to open up and I'm coming out of that grave, but I'm coming out different. 
I'm not coming out like a zombie like you see on TV. I'm coming out changed, a body like Christ, one incorruptible, one without sin. That's what I have to look forward to. And so then, well, what comes after that? Revelation 21 verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. I am looking forward to that. I don't like pain. I don't like crying. I don't like any of those things. And one of these days, those will be a thing of the past. The tears will be wiped away. It will only be joy. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness. That is what we have to look forward to if you're saved today. So, I mean, what comes next? What, what's after that? I don't know. But I'm excited about it. I mean, the little that we do know about eternity is so wonderful. And I tell you, we don't, we shouldn't be fearing death. Well, you shouldn't be fearing death at all. What we ought to be doing is preparing for it, understanding that we are going to stand before Christ someday, and we want to be able, you know, we want to do accomplish something while we're here on this earth. This is our chance to do something for God. This is our chance to make a difference. And I tell you, we need to do our best. And if you're saved today, boy, you have so much to look forward to. But if you're lost, what about the lost? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we see another throne. It says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Those of you that are trying to work your way to heaven, pay very close attention. At the great white throne, you are going to be judged according to your works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. These are the dead. Their names are not in the book of life. And they all are cast into the lake of fire. That is what's coming for those who are lost. Those who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have not trusted in His salvation. There is nothing for you to look forward to but a lake of fire. And I don't say that with a vengeful attitude. I'm not trying to say this to be mean. I'm saying this because it's the truth. Like, well, you're just, you're just trying to scare us. Yes, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men... There is a hell. There is a penalty for sin. You don't think your sin's a big deal? Well, then why did Jesus Christ die such a horrible death on the cross? It was because our sin is a big deal. We are an unclean, 
filthy people. And our only hope is in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And our God is a just God. He is a holy God. He cannot allow something as unclean and dirty as us in in his presence. Something had to be done to cleanse us. And the only thing that could be done was that could clean us up was the blood of Christ had to be shed. And Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for us. And if we'll put our faith and trust in him, the Bible says he will save us. His blood can cleanse us from all sin. And when we stand before God someday at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged according to his works that we're good. And we can have, we will be allowed access into heaven and i thank god for that and if you've never trusted christ as your savior i hope you'll believe in the lord jesus christ he's your only hope for salvation